Turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Let's hear the Word of God as it comes to us this morning. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he is purposes, as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. May God bless the reading of his sacred word. Dear church family, we live in an angry world, a hostile, God-dishonoring world, a sin-loving, Sabbath-breaking, war-mongering, man-hating world. It's a grim time in history. It's a dark time. It's a world in which we are replicating what we read in the book of Judges. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. The future prospects of our culture and our world are truly grim. We are awash in drugs and alcohol. Our society is filled with violence and sensuality, materialism and gambling and pornography and abortion, illiteracy, debt and theft. What future do we have? Where do we go? What message of hope 
can we bring? Well, I've got good news for you. There's a tremendous message of hope. There's a preeminent answer that the whole world desperately needs. And we need to bring it to our own hearts and by extension to our own families, our own church, our own community, and to the world. It's the message of the gospel. The beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ for sinners. And as we begin the Advent season and the new church calendar year, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, it's this message, you see, that lifts us up The message of the gospel in a society and world that has lost its way. And it's a message that ought to overflow us with gratitude, with wonder, with amazement, with worship, with love that springs forth right in the middle of a self-destroying world. It's the message of the coming one, the Advent Emmanuel, the one who came, the one who's coming, the one who shall come, and he's coming with haste to bring all men into judgment before him. The godly by grace to life eternal, the ungodly by their own merits to everlasting destruction. So I want to meditate with you on one of the most fundamental marks of being a child of God this morning. To wholeheartedly just thank God for the unspeakable gift of His Son. That's it. That's a fundamental mark of being a Christian. A fundamental mark of having a divine right to come to the Lord's Supper as a poor, needy sinner in myself with my only hope fixed on Jesus. I want to thank God for the unspeakable gift of His Son. That spiritual life. In a nutshell, misery, deliverance, gratitude. So that's our text this morning. Thanks be unto God, Second Corinthians nine fifteen, for His unspeakable, unspeakable. Think of it, unspeakable gift. I'm going to speak on it right now, but it's unspeakable. You see, it's, we're just going to stammer a few words. It's better felt than tell, and so. The title of this sermon is simply, The Gift Beyond Words. The Gift Beyond Words. And we want to look at three thoughts. A divine gift, an unspeakable gift, spend most of our time there, and a received gift. Divine gift, an unspeakable gift, a received gift. A poet... Josiah Condor wrote in the 19th century these words, Christ reigns, ye saints, exalt your strains. Your God is King, 
Your father reigns, but he is at the father's side, the man of love, the crucified. You see, that, that little poem is possible only because the Advent one came. Only because Jesus was made incarnate. And only because the Father gave the unspeakable gift of His Son. He gives the world, the sinful world, the God-hating world, the enemy world, the King who has the whole world in His hands for poor, needy sinners like you and me. And if we just took that one thought this morning, just this thought, and realized even 1% of it, we would break out right now in our pews, standing here with joy and thanksgiving unspeakable. We have a discouragement-free zone in our lives if we understand what it means that Christ has come, has suffered and died, risen again, intercedes at the Father's right hand for us, moment by moment, if we're true believers in Him. That is overwhelmingly joyful. And we ought to break out in doxological praise. What a gift. What generosity lies in the heart of God the Father to give His only begotten Son. It's amazing. I mean, would any of you give one of your children away to any of us? And we're your friends. We're friends of each other. Would you? Would you give one of your children away? Would you give your only son away to death for anyone in this entire audience? God gave his son, do you understand that? His only son to death. And the son is the creator of the world. He's the king of kings. And he gave him to death, not just for six, seven hundred people. But for millions, the multitude no man can number, to save them. And not friends, but enemies. My dad was fond of telling a story that I heard several times when I was young. There was a a man in the Kalamazoo NRC congregation as I grew up. He had a beautiful family, ten children. And when he came to the consistory to ask for the baptism of the tenth child, uh, he, as we do, just met with the consistory, kind of a routine meeting. But um, after they said okay, and they took down the name of the baby, then the chairman of the consistory said, and, and friend, how, how's it going with ten children? Oh, the man said, it's, it's overwhelming. We, I, we can hardly keep up. It just seems impossible. And he, he just was overwhelmed. Well, the chairman of the consistory said to him, well, I'll help you out. I'll take one of your children. Oh, no. 
Oh, no. You see, not one. But God gave his son for sin-stained enemies so that he could glorify himself and his son and do them good in their salvation. This is amazing. This shows us the generosity, the generosity of the heart of God. And that, after all, has been the theme of chapters 8 and chapters, nine, chapters eight and 9 of 2 Corinthians. It's all about Paul talking about the Christian being a generous, thankful giver, a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And he's thankful to the Corinthians. And what he's saying is that when you're a true child of God and you're saved by the blood of Christ, God puts in your heart a kind of generosity that you want to reach out to others. You want to do good to others. The love of God makes you, the vertical love of God that comes down to you in Christ makes you fill with a horizontal love that goes out to others around you. But what's so beautiful about our text this morning, I think, is that after spending two chapters thinking about this theme, Paul's mind, as is always the case with Paul, doesn't just end in stewardship and cheerful giving and abounding in every good work and giving charitably, freely, joyfully, and saying what a wonderful thing that is, for it is more blessed to give than to receive, as Jesus said. But Paul's mind always ends in Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? It always races to Christ. And so after he talks about all this generosity among the Corinthians, he just kind of concludes the whole subject by saying this, But thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. You want to see a generous heart. It's the heart of God the Father who gave His only begotten Son. And so when the Lord's Supper comes around, when Advent comes around, when we focus preeminently on Jesus, from sermon to sermon, you see, our hearts should respond to those invitations, to those overtures, to those offers of grace, to those promises of Christ, to the bread and to the wine, to the symbols, the signs, the seals, everything about Jesus. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. For He is the generous one. He is the one par excellence. We don't have generosity by nature, friends. But it's a gift of God through His Son that turns our hearts around so we become generous to Him and to one another out of His generosity to us. So this is the gift. The, not a not an unspeakable gift. The unspeakable gift. The gift of all gifts is the gift of the Father in giving His Son and through His Son salvation to sinners like you and me. This is the gift that enabled Paul to say, 
Christ loved me and gave himself for me. There's a world of salvation, of love, of generosity in that statement. Or as he says elsewhere, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is the season when people start thinking about gifts. Gifts to give to other people. We go out and we buy gifts. Sometimes we're harried and hurried in doing so. Sometimes we don't do it out of a right motive, perhaps. More out of a sense of duty. We're overwhelmed in this season of busyness. But you see, God's gift is pure. God's gift is not harried or hurried. God's gift is from eternity past. When He determined He would give His Son for a multitude no man can number. God's gift is not fake. God's gift is not formal only. God's gift is not just fulfilling some duty. God's gift, Jesus Christ, is the genuine gift, the bona fide gift, the no-strings-attached gift of God the Father who gave His only Son. There's no fine print attached to the gift of His coming. This gift is not like an envelope you get in the mail that tells you on the outside that the contents are very important and you could win a a lot of money. And you open it up and it tells you that you've been chosen to receive a wonderful gift, but before your heart starts beating faster, you read the fine print, which stipulates a variety of conditions. And you toss it away because you know it's not really a gift. It's a spam. It's fake. But there's no fakeness in God. God is absolutely pure. There's no strings attached. He's a genuine gift. Offered freely to people like you and me who would have no claim to Him. And He's given without anything received in return. Thanks be to God for His one-sided, unconditional, unspeakable gift. Now, if something is valueless, like an ordinary shell on an ocean's beach, it's not considered suitable for a gift, is it? Or if something is offered reluctantly, the gift is not genuine. It's like the taxes you pay, you send to the IRS to supply the government with needed funds. You're not really giving them a gift, are you? You know you'll go to prison if you fail to send in what you owe. Or then again, sometimes you give to people because they deserve it. Maybe you're an employer and your employee has worked hard and and you you give a paycheck. But it's not really a gift. They, They earned it. They earned it. But you see, what Paul is saying is this is a true gift You didn't earn it. In fact, you de-earned it. You demerited it. This is an eternal gift. This is a genuine gift. This gift will never be taken back. This gift 
ultimately from God the Father, is the unspeakable gift. The gift you need. The gift that is your life. The gift that will make all the difference for this life and the world to come. This is the bona fide gift. And this gift is exposed in the Bible. The whole Bible is about this gift. We are all sinners who've only earned our own eternal destruction. But God offers this gift to deliver us from the mess, the sinful mess we brought ourselves into in paradise and every day of our lives. And God says, I'll give this gift to you freely. Repent of your sins. Believe in me alone. I've got a gift from heaven that will give you everything you need for this life and a better one to come. A gift I have no obligation to give to you. I didn't give it to the fallen angels. It just pleased me to give it to fallen sinners. And so I set my love on countless millions, like the sands on the seashore, determined to save them and to give them this glorious gift. I will make you willing to receive this gift. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. This gift is 100% divine. And those who receive it, therefore, by the grace of God, have a 100% divine right to partake of the Lord's Supper and to praise God in Christ at the Supper for His unspeakable gift. That's the purpose. One of the main purposes of the Supper is that it's a supper of, of gratitude. Gratitude. Yes, it's a strengthening feast to strengthen our faith. Yes, it's a love feast to express our love back to Him who loved us. Yes, it's a covenanting feast that we covenant our hearts back again afresh to God who covenants Himself to us and makes that covenant visible in the signs and seals. Yes, it's a witnessing feast so that when we come, we're declaring to everyone in the church publicly that we're unworthy in ourselves, but we find all our worthiness in Christ. But it's also a thanksgiving feast. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift, His pure, one-sided, sovereign, gracious gift. Which leads me to point two. That little word unspeakable. What does Paul mean here? Well, the original Greek word here for unspeakable means that it cannot be expounded or comprehended in full. It goes beyond the confines of human vocabulary. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. This week, I will have had the incredible privilege of bringing you the gospel for 37 years. And my goal from my ordination sermon, we seek not ourselves, but we seek Christ in you. That has been my goal till this very day. 
to declare from sermon to sermon, and now together with Reverend Bio and, and, and Reverend Dieter and Reverend Yin, who will feel exactly like me, to declare this gift. To do it in a variety of ways, but to do it from the Word of God so that we may know something of this glorious gift. And yet, if you could preach a hundred years, if you could preach a thousand years, as a preacher, you always feel like you're just dipping your toes in just the very shore of the ocean, of the magnitude of this gift. That's one of the joys of preaching. We do get to proclaim it, even if it's with our voice just a tiny little bit. But one of the sorrows of preaching is that we can't express it the way we feel it. It's way, way beyond human words. Who can ever comprehend or drink in the fullness of the ocean of the love of God and the riches of Christ in the gift of His Son to us? It's like swimming in infinity in an omnipresent ocean. There's no depth. There's no bottom to it. There's no breadth to it. There's no height to it. It's, it's, it's a gift beyond words, beyond comprehension, beyond grasp. So we just stammer. In heaven we'll know much more. But here we just stammer a few words about this gift. So I want to I do that right now. I want to stammer just a few different thoughts to you about this gift. The first thought is this. The gift of God's Son goes beyond words because of God the Father's love for His own Son. Think about this with me. Let's say you had a terribly, terribly rebellious son. I mean, as bad as the prodigal in Luke 15. Maybe you come to a point sometimes you say, I just wish I could be relieved of this burden. I just wish I could give this son away. He's just all trouble. But what if you had, what if you had a son who was so precious to you? Not just as a son, but there's a bond of love between you spiritually in the Lord. And you lost that son. Or you had to give away that son. We just prayed for someone who lost a son, didn't we? What a tragedy. So young. And a couple weeks ago, we prayed for Conrad and Bayway. Lost a 32-year-old son. A son who was preaching at his side. He, he, he viewed him to be, well, his successor as he gets older. And he just wrote me yesterday. Just keep praying for me. My heart is broken. I'm hurting. But I, I, I do look to Christ. You can't imagine what he's going through. Losing that son. But you see, God gave his son, his very, 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 very special son, 
The son that was in his bosom from all eternity. The son with which he never had a harsh word. The son with which he had a perfect relationship. The son of whom he says 17 times in the Gospel of John and in the epistles of John. It was especially John's theme. In one way or another, in so many words, the father loves the son. And the father does all things for his son. For the glory of his son. He gave that son. It's unspeakable. It's unspeakable. The father loved the son like no one has ever loved anyone. It's an unspeakable love. And therefore it's an unspeakable gift. Father loved his son. Person to person. In fact, the whole trinity loves each other person to person in ways and words that we can't even come close to understanding, far beyond any human love. And yet he gives that son for enemies, to bless them, to, to bless enemies with countless benefits every day and make them his friends. And so he gives that son whom he loves, preeminently loves, to the cross, to nails, to the whip, to nakedness, to shame, to mockery, to darkness, to the anathema, to the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And to the grave. How can it be? How can it be? Someone put it this way. It is as if God trained a vast jet of a torched flame upon His Son and kept it on Him hour after hour, fusing Him to our sin and our sin to Him. And the Son willingly endured it out of love for His Father and for us. Unspeakable gift. Beyond words. Secondly, This gift goes beyond words. And it's indescribable because of what that love has done. What that love has done. John 3.16, probably the best known verse in the Bible, tells us that God loved the world? What? The world that rejected Him? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son? How is it possible? It doesn't say God loved the world greatly or fervently or immeasurably or unspeakably in John 3.16 or all kinds of adjectives. It just describes the love of God just in these terms. He gave His only begotten Son. That's saying more. That's saying more than all the adjectives and ad- adverbs and everything you could add to it. This is beautiful love. See, a mother may love her unborn son so much that she refuses chemotherapy for her own cancer so that the child in her womb will not be hurt in any way, knowing that she might die, but she wants to give life to her boy. Love makes her act like that. But we got something beyond all of that, beyond all of that wonderful love. Here, God so loved the sin-loving world, the God-hating world, that He gave His only begotten Son to His bloody death. 
That's beyond words. Charles Wesley stammered it in a beautiful hymn. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all. Let earth adore. Let angel minds inquire no more. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne. And claim the crown through Christ my own. What has this love done? It saved us. If we're believers, true believers, saved us. It ripens us for glory. Thirdly, God's love is beyond words because of the person whom He gives. God gave Him. God could have given 10,000 angels, perhaps, in an effort to save us, but it wouldn't have worked. But He did something more. He gave the uncreatable. No one created God. He's the unoriginated, unbegun one. Without beginning, without end of days. He was eternal. Jesus is eternal. Eternal as God Himself. He is God Himself. God gave the eternal God to be made man. To assume that manhood to His Godhead. Ultimately, you see, God gave Himself. What a gift. What a gift. Who can grasp it? That God gave us Himself and all that He possesses. Gave us something more than all the worlds and all the universes in comparison to the creator of the rolling spheres and the Lord of the angels. All these things are mere creatures, but He's the creator. And He gave us the creator. And made Him man as well. And assumed that manhood to His Godhead. Can you comprehend that? You can't begin to comprehend that, can you? You can't get your arms around it. The God-man Savior in one divine person. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16 God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. All for you, dear child of God. Shall you then not respond, thanks be unto God, for His unspeakable, gift. And then fourthly, this gift is so unspeakable because of how low God came to give it. From the throne of the universe, from the bosom of the Father, He sent His Son down, down, boys and girls, down, down, to become a little baby in His mother's womb. To a poor virgin girl he was born, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger among animals in lowly Bethlehem. The eternal one 
is on his mother's lap. The mother of our Lord looks after the Ancient of Days. She nurses the creator of the universe. She ministers to him who's the maker of all things. As a boy, he's helping the one he calls father to make tables in a carpenter's shop in Nazareth. The one in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is a 12-year-old boy sitting among doctors in the temple listening to what they say. The one who owns the universe has nowhere to lay his head. The creator of the clouds and the rain and the seas and the oceans asks a despised Samaritan woman for a drink of water. How do you understand this? It's unspeakable. It goes beyond words. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward man. It's a message of grace. It's a message of substitutionary love. It's a message available to the greatest sinners sitting in this audience this morning. This is unspeakable. This is the gospel. Thanks be unto God. For His unspeakable gift. Fifthly, this gift is also unspeakable because of what it saves us from. It saves us from sin. Sin is atrocious. Sin is a monster. Sin is heinous, despicable. All sin ultimately is seeking to ungod God, to dethrone the God of the universe. That's why the Puritans used to say the smallest sin is a greater evil than the greatest evil of affliction. The fallen angels are bound in the blackness of darkness, Jude tells us, bound in eternal chains. But we sinners may be delivered, saved, redeemed. All your sins too, my unconverted friend, can be washed away and cast behind the back of this gift into the sea of eternal forgetfulness. Oh, are you coming to this gift? Are you falling before this gift? Are you crying out for mercy? Are you confiding in Jesus, trusting Him, running to Him, quick to use Him in every needy situation? Everything is in Him. Everything you need. You know, some years ago, we printed it a few years, a few years back, I came across just an incredible book written by one of the Westminster Confession divines, a Puritan, by the name of Alexander Gross. Here's the title of the book. How to Make a Speedy Use of Christ in Every Situation. Isn't that an incredible title? How to Make a Speedy Use of Christ in Every Situation. And what he's saying in this book is that Christ is a special gift that Covers every need you could ever have. Every need you could ever have. But he's also saying, you've got to use him. You've got to go to him. You've got to cry out to him. You've got to surrender before him. You've got to yield to him. Some of us will be getting gifts in the next month that we'll probably stash away and never use. You might even get a gift that you say, oh, this is so precious. 
I don't want to damage it, so I'll put it away in a cupboard somewhere and you forget you received it. But you see, God is not pleased when we push away Christ. Recently, I was speaking with someone who said to me that uh, I want to give I want to give gifts to my children. Not not after I die, but before I die. Because I want to have the joy of seeing how my children use those gifts. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, God the Father loves to see, loves to give away His Son. He loves to see how you use His Son, how you depend upon His Son. He gets enjoyment when you embrace His Son, when you cry out to His Son, when you live for His Son, when you confess, for me to live is Christ. Father loves His Son so much. He loves to see it, see His children gravitating to His Son. Use His Son. To use Him is not to abuse Him. To use Him is to go to Him and say, Lord Jesus, Thou art my all and in all. What is my purpose here in life? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, said the Westminster Puritan divines. God takes delight when sinners enjoy his unspeakable gift. It's like you women when you make a meal. You have some guests over. And you don't, you don't take out one of your worst recipes, do you? You take out one of the better ones. And if the, if the people there say, you know, this is, this is really, really good. It's so delicious, so tasty. How do you feel? Well, you get a sense of satisfaction, don't you? And you invite them to eat some more. You say, I don't want leftovers. Enjoy it. Eat, eat to the full. What do you think God thinks when sinners come to His Son and taste the deliciousness of the fullness of Christ and cry out, thanks be unto Thee, Father, for the unspeakable gift of Thy Son. God gets satisfaction. Sixthly, this gift is indescribable and unspeakable because of all the benefits it brings into the lives of God's people. All the ways and varieties in which it is to be enjoyed. You know, when you're in Korea, they have like 20 to 30 dishes per meal. And they have these little dishes and they put them all in front of you. And then everyone's supposed to take their fork and get a bite from every dish if you're the ideal Korean eater. Well, I, you know, my wife did that, but I, no way I could do that. But the idea, the idea you see, is you get a little bit of everything. You get this variety. And in the Korean mind, that means you have a wonderful meal, this tremendous variety of food. Well, Christ is like that. You take his states, you take his natures, you take his person, you take his offices, Prophet, priest, king. He meets all your needs through this tremendous variety. He's like, he's like a, a tasty meal with a thousand dishes in front of you. And he says, come, my child, and eat. And that's all symbolized in the Lord's Supper. Come and eat. Come and drink. 
come and dine. There's no, no end to the variety that there is in the Lord Jesus. And seventhly, this gift goes beyond words because of what God gives His people through Christ here and now. Here and now. All your afflictions are sanctified. Here and now. He withholds no good thing from you. Here and now. He richly supplies all your needs. Here and now. And when you taste of His riches, when you fall at His feet and worship Him and are overwhelmed at His presence through the Word, when you can say with John, I fell at His feet as dead. I was just overwhelmed by His overpowering love, His overpowering grace. It goes beyond words, doesn't it? And you love Him. And you cannot deny it. <laughs> oh, oh, that I could love Him more. But it's, it's beyond words. Beyond words. And then finally, eighthly, this gift is beyond words because it will end in the eternal home in heaven. He will welcome us into another world, dear child of God. He will raise our bodies from the dust and glorify us. He will present us through this gift, perfect in knowledge and holiness and happiness, before the throne of God forever. Forever we will love Him. Forever we will gaze upon Him. With no sin, perfect sight, always the Lamb on the center of the throne. Oh, what a, what a beautiful thing it is to see Him face to face. It's like when you're a grandparent and you see, your, you see your grandchildren. It's just a joy springs up in you. If a grandchild runs to you, runs into your arms, you can't express, you can't put into words the joy in your heart, can you? Oh, the joy in the heart of a believer as he runs into the arms of Christ in glory and the joy in the heart of Christ as he embraces his child. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. He to see me, I to see him, and to be together forever. Every gift has a giver and a receiver. A gift must be received. So my closing application this morning to you is this. Have you received the gift of God's Son? Have you experientially been acquainted with John 1, 12, and 13? But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Having received that gift, are you now supremely thankful to Him for it? Are you enjoying it? See, you cannot receive it. You cannot receive Him when your hands are full with the things of this world. It's an empty hand that receives a valuable gift. Have you ever had someone hand you a gift and but your hands were full. Maybe you were carrying some bags or something. You said, wait, wait a minute. Let me set this down. <laughs> I, I, I can only receive it with an empty hand. 
See, the Lord's Supper is not for people who, whose hands are full with this world. It's for people who say, I'm a looker for Him. I'm a looker for Him. Oh, come that second time without sin unto salvation, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. It's for people who, who can't live without Him. It's for people who need Him. Sometimes people ask, how much do I need to know of Jesus before I come to the Lord's Supper? You need to know something of Him, don't you? You can't remember a stranger. But minimum? You need to know enough that you need Him. That you can't be saved outside of Him. And you need to know that He's your only hope. Your only hope. And the very act of coming to the Lord's Supper is then an act of faith, of of casting myself upon Him, saying, I need, I need this unspeakable gift of God. Even though I know Him far less than I want to know Him. And that one day I shall know Him. I cannot deny that He... He's not a stranger. He's not a stranger. But oh, I wish I knew him so much better. Those people are welcome. Those people are welcome at the table of the Lord. You know, one of the tragedies with an overly spending on Christmas gifts and so, so-called things of that nature is that the meaning of Christ for empty sinners is lost beneath all the, all the things, all the stuff in many homes and in many hearts. We need the gift of gifts. And we need to receive it. We need to, as, as Reverend Kirsten used to say, what God promises to give, we need to appropriate. We need to appropriate. We need to take it in, take it home. Now, how does faith do that? How does faith do that experientially? Well, it, faith empties us of our self-righteousness. Faith shows us our dependency upon Jesus. Faith wholeheartedly assents that He's the one thing I need. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to Thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul eye to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. If you can say that, experientially you belong at the Lord's table. But then faith lays hold of him with those empty hands and experiences some sweetness from him, from this gift. A sweetness that passes understanding. A sweetness that passes words. As the Puritans used to say, the soul closes with Christ and grasps Him in a believing embrace, surrendering all of self, clinging to His Word, relying on His promises, coming, hearing, seeing, trusting, embracing, knowing, rejoicing, loving, triumphing in this unspeakable gift. What a beautiful thing faith is. And then faith lives out of Christ. Being united to Him by faith, we possess all things in Him. Christ outside of us is our justification, but Christ inside of us is our sanctification by the Holy Spirit. And so we receive Him. We appropriate Him. Thomas Manton, the Puritan, says, faith has two hands. 
With one, it stretches out for Christ. With the other, it pushes away all that comes between Christ and the soul. I want, I want Him. I want Him. I don't want, I don't want my hands filled with this world. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Be gone, sin. Be gone, world. Give me Jesus, else I die. That's what you need. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. And so, don't put your heart anywhere else. Just don't do it. Ask God to help you, to wean you from this world. All those things you think you have to have, all those things that you you want to have, all these dreams that you have that you think will make you happy, it's all temporary, really, isn't it? And it won't abide. It won't abide. Don't try to find things that you use as a substitute for Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And when you try to fill your life with other things, you're just like where Jesus, when Jesus was born. There's no, there was no room for Him in the end. There's no room for Him in the end of our hearts by nature because we're always substituting other things for the real thing. And the other things are quick and easy. You can go out and buy them. But Jesus is the real gift. That's what you need for profound and deep and abiding satisfaction in life. A poet wrote it in these words, No room in the inn for Jesus when He came on that starlit night. No room for the great Creator, for the giver of light. No room in the world for Jesus. No room in our hearts today. No room for the King of glory. Oh, how can we turn Him away? No room? Dear Lord, please forgive us for keeping Thy Son outside. No room? Do open the portals and all the doors fling wide. Make room, O Thou gentle Redeemer. Make room, O Giver of light. Make room in the world for Jesus. Make room in my heart tonight. Is there room in your heart for Jesus? Can you say, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift? You see, then one day, you will say with Robert Murray McShane, when this passing world is done, when is sunk yon glaring sun, when I stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I truly know, not till then, how much I owe. When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty not my own, when I see Thee as Thou art, love Thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Fly to Christ and say to Him, thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. Amen. Gracious God, wonderful giver of the supreme gift, please make room in every heart for Thy Son. 
apply him, that we may appropriate him, give him, that we may receive him, and make him exquisitely beautiful and precious and fulfilling to us so that we could say, for me to live is Christ, and he is my all and in all. And may that be our experience next Sunday morning and in Advent season and throughout this church calendar year to come. May it be Solus Christus, Christ alone, in Jesus' name. Amen.